The following podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not to be considered as legal advice and does not contain an attorney-client relationship. If you need legal advice, contact a licensed attorney in your state. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Plead the Sixth, where two lawyers and a real person talk about the law. I'm Kathry. I'm the real person here. I'm Stacy. I'm one of the lawyers. And I'm Courtney. I am another lawyer. And today we're talking about going to trial. Because, okay, I don't know about you guys, but going to trial seems real big and scary to me. And using my go-to cultural touchstone, law and order really it kind of goes from the end of the police investigation to just like popping up in a big old trial, but that that's not really been my observations of how a case goes so far. So why don't why don't we start about why don't we start with this? How how do you get from a case going to court to a case going to trial? I think the easiest way to talk about this is just let's start at the beginning. So the beginning is we get a case. You know, we get a client. Typically, they're appointed to us. Sometimes we get hired. Either way, we get the case. I mean, I I don't want to speak for Stacey, but I think in general we've kind of agreed that, you know, our mindset when we get a case is like, all right, how can we fight this? Yes. We go in with, like, the fighting mentality And then we work out the details from there. And it's really interesting because Courtney and I go in with the same mindset. How can I fight this? But we come at it from different angles. And I think that that's kind of cool for us because, you know, sometimes my angle will get us to the the answer of how can we get this case dismissed. And sometimes the way Courtney comes at it will get us to that angle. And so I think it's really great having somebody who kind of thinks the same way I do, but comes at it from a different place. And it, it kind of gives you the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 lovely that you guys are perfect for each other and soulmates and all of that. <laughs> what does it mean to fight this? And for those at home, my air quotes are very important here. Um, <laughs> what are we fighting? Are we fighting the man? Are, what does it mean to fight the whatever man, it is that we're fighting? The overreaching arm of the government. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're fighting the power. Okay, guys. <laughs> Uh-huh. But you're revolutionaries. <laughs> <laughs> we are. In reality, you know, when we say how can I fight this? It's we're looking at this case, we're looking at the alleged offense, we're looking at what the state is alleging that this person has done, and we're saying, okay, like how I mean, I don't know how to say it other than how are we going to fight this? Like how are we going to defend this person, you know? Okay. So what what we're what you're fighting is a conviction? We're fighting the allegation. The and allegation. We're, okay. we're hoping it doesn't end in conviction. Sure. So we're fighting the allegation and we want the result of our fight to be a positive outcome for the client. And this comes in different ways. You know, uh, the positive outcome for one client might not be the positive outcome for another client, right? So like, we say we're going to fight this, and usually we mean, like, how can we fight this in trial? That's kind of our mindset going forward is, like, how how would this work out in trial? But the whole time along the way, we're thinking, okay, what other ways can we resolve this case? I mean, obviously, we're always hoping it just gets dismissed, right? I mean, the easiest way to resolve a case is to convince the state if they went to trial, they're going to lose. Yeah. So there's no reason to get us there. Just dismiss the case. Yeah. That's the easiest. That's where we start. 
How do we get the state to dismiss? So when we say, how can we fight this? My first question is, how can I get the state to dismiss this? That's where mm-hmm. I start. I think generally that's the same mindset for me too. It's just like, how how can we, I hate to say get rid of this case, but like how <laughs> how can we resolve this case? So just like real quick, just because we keep saying the word dismissal, can someone give me a, just like a brief overview, like a, like a definition of what a dismissal is? It. You said definition that threw me off. Like, I can explain what it is. I don't know if this is the proper definition. But when your case gets dismissed, that means the state um, has dropped that case. It doesn't always mean that that case has been completely done away with. Like, if they dismiss the case with still within the statute of limitations, meaning, like, the time period in which they have to file a case then they can refile that case and the case comes back. So it's not completely done, but it's done at that moment. There are exceptions to that because this is another it depends type of moment. Yeah. (laughs) It seemed like a simple question, right, Kathy? Yeah, Um, it sure did. But as in every question you ask us, the answer is much more complicated than that. Because there are ways that a case can be dismissed outright and the state can't refile it. There are ways where the state agrees not to refile it when they dismiss it. Um, so there's, there's a lot more to it, but it just means the case is done right this second, period. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that case can't be revived, like Courtney said. Generally, a dismissal means we're done. That is, that, and, and that's a good rule of thumb. Rule of thumb, generally, the dismissal means we're done. This case is done. Does it mean like you are found innocent or is no. it just like we're not going to press this right now it doesn't mean you're found innocent <laughs> okay well so so it's still on your record but yes. it just says on your record that it's been dismissed right you, your arrest shows up on your record and then it'll show as a disposition dismissal when the statute of limitations expires you can then do follow this legal proceeding that's a little expensive it costs money to do it it's called an expunction to get the arrests off your record altogether, and then your record would be clean. Um, okay. So a dismissal allows you to eventually get to that expunction, but it's usually not an immediate thing. Okay, got it. Yeah, the first goal is always dismissal. And then um, when or if it becomes clear that like that's not going to happen, sometimes you get it from like, you know, the vibe the prosecutor is getting you on this case. Like every time you talk to them, they're just not feeling it. They're just not hearing what you have to say. They don't agree with your viewpoint of what happened you know they don't they're not receptive to they don't see the case the way you're seeing it like if we go in there with a dismissal argument it's because we see it as a dismissal case not Mm -hmm. every case has a dismissal argument you know some cases you're going to look at the evidence and you're going to be like well the state will never dismiss this so what's the next best thing which we'll talk about that why but why wouldn't a prosecutor want to dismiss a case if they can prove it. <laughs> um, okay. So it's it's probably more like, it's probably easier to answer that in the opposite is why would they dismiss the case? Oh, that's fine. And the answer to that would be lack of evidence. Um, so they could dismiss if the defendant was convicted or sentenced in another case. Like they could, they could dismiss your case if you pled to a different case. Um they could dismiss if you're in custody in another jurisdiction. Um, if it's an old case and there was no arrest, uh, 
if the defendant was granted immunity, if there was a motion to suppress granted, and now there's no, you know, if you suppress the arrest, there's nothing left, right? So that kind of thing. Insufficient evidence, like they, like I said, um, if a co-defendant was convicted and then there was insufficient evidence to, to your client, it could be they're going to either refile it like maybe like the way in which they filed it, like there was issues. So there's going to, they're going to dismiss and refile. Um, if a necessary witness is missing, like someone, the one witness they need to prove the case, they can't prove it dismissed. And then they could do it for other reasons. Like, I mean, sometimes like, you know, if it, if this case was included in like a felony indictment, they'll dismiss this one. Cause they included it somewhere else, you know, that kind of thing. Like, um, uh, what's another other that they could do it for? Um, okay, so what I'm getting from this incredibly long list is that, like... I read a dismissal form to you, so that's why it was long. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Court. Appreciate it. What, what I'm What I'm getting is that, like, it's prosecutor's job to avoid a dismissal. Is that... Is that no, their job no? is to seek justice. That is in the code. Okay. <laughs> their job is to seek justice. And sometimes dismissals are in the interest of justice. Yes. Okay. Usually, I would say um, the only times when they wouldn't be is when the state really thinks that happened, but they can't prove their case. So they, they're dismissing it um, because they can't prove it, but they really believe it happened. Then in that case, they, they probably feel really bad about it. But I think most of the time dismissals are in the interest of justice. I think if you're dismissing because they can't prove it, that's still in the interest of justice. It is. Well, they're not wasting the the county's money on a case they can't win. Yeah. Okay. So they they wouldn't want to dismiss a case because they believe that the defendant did something worth punishing. Right. Yeah. And that is an honorable reason to not want to dismiss a case. Yeah. If you really believe it happened and you believe that they deserve a certain level of punishment, seeking justice is pursuing that case. Okay. But, you know, if we're going in there with a dismissal argument, we're trying to get the state to mm-hmm. see our argument. And then if, you know, they don't see it, then we have to move on to the next thing and hope that uh, the next thing is a really positive outcome for our client. If we're, if you know, if the, if the state isn't going to dismiss, but I got to say, it works a lot. We get we get quite a few dismissals, don't we, Courtney? <laughs> I like to think so. But yeah, so we start with that dismissal mindset and we're like, how can we cuz that's the best outcome for the client is just the case being dismissed. And you know what, a lot of times we'll watch videos and we'll, you know, we'll watch everything that the police officer said and did and we'll realize that the you know, they arrested our client for a crime they didn't commit and the evidence is right there on the video that they didn't commit mm-hmm. it. Uh, what? I know, crazy, you mean right? The police in America arresting someone that didn't deserve it? Oh my god! <laughs> and then we take that to the state and like, just watch the video. There's no crime, and a lot of times, if there's mm-hmm. genuinely no crime committed, and you can see that on the video, the state's not going to mess with it. They're just going to dismiss it and be like, "Yeah, let's just move on with everyone's lives." Or sometimes you keep pushing it, <laughs> and then they <laughs> then they finally just don't want to deal with you anymore. <laughs> Well, I mean, and sometimes you have to educate the prosecutors about what the law actually is because they don't always know. Well, that's not comfortable. Well, <laughs> I don't I mean, like that. 
I hate to say they don't know what it is, but their interpretation of it is not what the statute actually says. You right. know what I mean? Like everyone, Sometimes you have to send them a pile of case law to mm-hmm. show them that this is what the law actually means. And that's why my client didn't commit a crime and you need to dismiss it. And so there's yeah. a lot of legwork involved on our part sometimes to get those dismissals. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, you know, I mean, every crime has elements to it. And sometimes it's breaking down those elements and showing the um, prosecutor, you're missing this element right here. Where is it? I hate to bring up evading because I know Stacy knows that's the case I'm thinking of right now. But it's like, where was <laughs> where was the chase? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a, that's a good example of a case that you ended up getting dismissed because there was never a chase. Our client never evaded the police because he was never chased by the police. Yeah. He was he ran before the police got there. So, you know, <laughs> no crime in that. That's not evading. <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing about like, you know, fighting a case is like that one. We resolved it a way that we usually wouldn't have because we had another really good alternative. You can. There's other ways to get dismissal. Sometimes you can just get an outright dismissal, or sometimes you can get what's called a conditional dismissal, where it's like, um, you know, your client does like some community service hours, maybe takes a class, and then like the case is dismissed. Then, so it's like sometimes when like the crime is like not a big deal, but you know, the state doesn't just want to up and dismiss. They'll do a conditional dismissal offer like that. Yeah. A lot of the conditional dismissals are property crimes where they want you to pay the restitution. Yeah. Um, And it's usually like something like, you know, a a door got busted. They just want you to pay Mm -hmm. to fix the door on a criminal mischief case where there wasn't any real intent to do any kind of harm to anyone, but somebody got, the police got called and there was property damage. Um, so in those kinds of cases, you pay the restitution for the repairs and they'll dismiss the case. That's, that's a pretty common mm-hmm. way to get dismissals, but usually just on property crimes, it's harder to get dismissals like that conditional dismissals on non-property crimes. Yeah. A lot of times I think, um, in my experience when conditional dismissals have come up other than like property crimes is when it's clear that the, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, the punishment is going to be substantially worse than what the crime was because sometimes you know people are charged with crimes and but there's different facts in those crimes so like yeah like you know two people can evade but the evading facts could be different you know what i mean it's like sometimes prosecutors take into account the individual and the individual facts and sometimes they see that you know maybe this 17 year old kid that's being tried as adult for having you know a joint in his pocket doesn't deserve to have the rest of his life ruined for a teenage mistake. So, you know, take a drug class, do some community service, you know, learn your lesson, case will be dismissed. That kind of thing. You know, sometimes we can work out stuff like that. It's not often, kind of like Stacey said, it is usually more for property crimes. But, you know, occasionally there are cases like that where, you know, the punishment wouldn't fit the circumstances. And the DAs just want something that they can put yeah. in their file to show it's still a win for them because they got they got their pound of flesh. It's just their pound of flesh happened without oh, I having hate that expression so deeply. Do you but it but it's but it's a lot, how a lot of prosecutors think and it's important yeah. to know. The prosecutors think about that, you know? Yeah. And so they get something in exchange for something, you know. So there's a there's a they feel like the person is learning their lesson because they're being forced to do something 
It's not just to get out scot-free. Yeah. And I mean, I I always appreciate when we get a conditional dismissal offer because I feel like, you know, we're being heard. But another program that typically ends in a dismissal is a a pretrial diversion program, which we have here in Bear County. Um, But just like a brief overview of it, it's just kind of like a more drawn out conditional dismissal with a couple more requirements. Like there's some reporting requirements, but in the end, if you complete um, everything that is required of you, your case gets dismissed. And so in that particular evading case we had, he had been accepted into a pretrial diversion program, but both he and us felt like he did not in fact evade. (laughs) And so even though we had a great offer like that, we would never fight a PTD offer. You know, that that's that's a great offer and it's a great program. We we never say no to those. We'd never had before, but we had to in that case. There, there was the, that one case where I said yes to a PTD and no to the dismissal because it was in the best interest of my client to do a PTD. There's some advantages yeah. to it we'll talk about in our PTD episode, but um, sometimes it is beneficial to our client to do the pretrial diversion and not take a dismissal. Yeah, so that was an interesting case. And to this day, I um, apologize to the prosecutors for being so annoying about that case. But, you know, we did get the <laughs> dismissal that we wanted and I felt heard. And, and so I will always be appreciative to those prosecutors for listening to me and, you know, the arguments I was making because I felt strongly about it and our client did too. And he believed in me and I was like, all right, let's, let's try this, you know? Okay. So, but yeah, so sometimes we can also get PTD offers, which is another way we can resolve a case. And it's a great resolution for a case because again, it can, if they do what they're supposed to do, it ends in a dismissal, which is always the first goal. And, uh, you know, we've talked about just straight up dismissal, conditional dismissal, and PTD. Those are the three ways that Courtney and I are happy to resolve cases. Mm-hmm. Um, any other types of resolutions, we're never happy because mm-hmm. they involve Grumpy. somehow. Yeah. No, they involve some kind of permanent mark on a person's record. Everything else does. Those three ways, you can get expunged off your record right? You Mm -hmm. can get the arrest expunged. You can make it so that this never happened. You have to pay for that. And there's a waiting period involved in some of them and no waiting period in others, but you can make it, you can undo it like it never happened. Um, Everything else we're going to talk about, it's on your record. You're never going to be able to get it off. Oh, yeah. I guess like to kind of sum up, like when we first get a case, we're thinking, okay, can we get a dismissal? Okay, maybe not. Can we do a conditional dismissal? Okay, maybe not. You know, can we, or would you agree to let them apply for PTD? No. Okay, well, or yes, and then they get rejected, you know? And so it's like every, we're trying new things. We're waiting to see if we're going to get those things. And then we kind of just like adapt as we go along whether, you know, how the case evolves, because every case is going to evolve a different way, because they're going to all resolve a different way. So we're kind of adapting as we're going to figuring out, okay, how is this case going to resolve? Um, But we always hold on to the hope for a dismissal, even if like the initial go around is like a no. That's not a no forever. It's just a no, not right now. (laughs) Sometimes you have to force it to trial to get that dismissal. Yeah. But once we've we've exhausted those first three options and we are in the mindset now we're preparing for trial if we can't get those three things. And um, as we go along, we're communicating with the client. They're aware of the different things that we're trying. And, you know, they also want their case just to be dismissed. I think they think sometimes we have more power in that than we do. But <laughs> Our power is in the power of persuasion. <laughs> and our willingness to put things on the trial docket. That is a power as well. So some of the cases, like once we've 
kind of exhausted the ways in which we were hoping the case would get resolved, then we start to have the real serious conversations about trial. I mean, whenever I'm first talking with the client like one-on-one, like I'm all, I always mention, I kind of give an overview kind of like we're doing now of like the different ways in which we could possibly resolve the case. And, you know, I always mention that like we're going to consider trial at some point. And so they're in that mindset that like we're going to try all these things first and then, you know, we are going to go to trial. Now, of course, it's their case, right? You're just their guide in the justice system. And so if they're like, I don't want to go to trial, we have to do everything you can, I don't want to go to trial, then like you have to do what they want, right? But you always have to explain the benefits of going to trial and it definitely depends on what crime they are alleged to commit and you have to explain the consequences if they were to take a deal in the case. And so that's kind of the next step is like, okay, if we can't get this dismissed, you know, obviously we're going to prepare for trial, but what kind of offer would we get? And sometimes that offer is good enough that that we would even recommend them taking it. And that mm-hmm. is very fact specific. That is, there is no mm-hmm. one one size fits all, you know, formula to this. It's going to depend on the facts of the case. It's going to depend on the individual themselves and how this may impact their future. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if I'm dealing with a 70 year old woman who picked up a DWI she's probably not going to care about having a mark on her record with a DWI. She just might want to do a little probation and get it over with because she doesn't have a career to look forward to, right? She's at the end, she's, she's retired now. And so that scenario, you know, those facts would change maybe whether or not we'd want to fight it because fighting it will draw it out longer for her. And, you know, when you're 70, do you really want to be coming to court for two years trying to fight a case? Or would you rather just oh do you know, a few months of probation and get it over with? And so like it's the individual themselves who's being accused plays into what is the best path for them as well. So it's not only the crime itself, but it's the individuals you know, themselves and their circumstances in life. And criminal history does play into this. The court they're in can even play into this decision, which judge they're in front of, which prosecutors we're dealing with. All of that is, you know, very individual to each case and each case is very different from the next one. And so you really have to take all of the facts and all of the circumstances to really decide what is best for the client. And so we give them all the information. They're going to be overloaded with information to make the best decision that they can. But we always do advise as well. We always Mm -hmm. say, you know, this is what I think you should do. And some of our clients are like, no, I just want to do this. And some Mm -hmm. of them are like, oh, yeah, like do that. Like that sounds good. And there'll be like some things where it's like if depending on the court we're in, I'm like, we can try X, Y, and Z because it doesn't cost us anything to try X, Y, and Z before we get to A, B, and C, right? Mm -hmm. But there are some courts and some prosecutors where if we tried X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C is off the table. And so it's really important to like for you to have that information so your client can have that information so you know what what the consequences are for certain actions as well. And like obviously, I mean, I feel like this goes without saying, but I feel like it needs to be said anyway. You know, we also look at the facts of the case too. Right. Is it is it worth I hate to say worth, but like is are the facts actually fightable? Is there an argument in there that yeah. we can make that will win the case? And that's the thing is like I feel like I, I do have a philosophy that like there's always an argument, right? Yeah. 
But like we have to weigh the strengths and weaknesses of that argument. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we have to be thinking about what can I convince a jury of? You know, Mm -hmm. if I can't convince a jury of this viewpoint, then it's a worthless viewpoint. Like if it's just so out there, then it's there's no reason to make that argument, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I would never be able to convince anyone that this is this is the argument to make, even though it's an argument that could be made. And so, yeah, we're we're looking at the facts, figuring out what do the facts lend themselves, what can the state prove, what mm-hmm. evidence would come in in trial. All of these are considerations as we're advising our clients as to what they should do. And if we do have some sort of offer on the table, another question is, can we beat this offer if we were to go to trial? And I mean, obviously, if we win, we could beat it. But if we were to go to trial and lose, you know, would that still be better than taking that offer? Because, I mean, believe it or not, sometimes we get offers for convictions. And we're like, you're telling me you're going to offer that the same thing that would be worst case scenario if we went to trial and lost. (laughs) But we have a fighting chance if we go to trial. You know what I mean? So a lot of times if we do get an offer for conviction – it's really like, well, what's the time, you know, could we beat that time? Right. So if it's like, you know, on a misdemeanor, the maximum probation initially is 24 months, right? And so if they're giving us an 18 month offer, I think I might be able to beat that at trial, no matter what kind of case it is. But if they give me a 12 month offer, eh, it becomes a little trickier then. I'm not sure I can beat 12 months. And, you know, sometimes if we really believe in a case, but, you know, the, the client doesn't want to go to trial they make us plead them I feel like a little part of me dies sometimes I mean I I have definitely had parts of me die I'm half dead right now I mean it is their life and it's their decision but that's what it comes down to like if you I just want to make it clear like obviously like any decision made is going to be the client's decision but we're going to keep them informed of all their options and one of my favorite things to do is a pro con list of going to trial versus taking a plea uh, or taking when an offer. When she says favorite things, I don't think favorite is a strong enough word for Courtney's <laughs> affection for pro and con lists. <laughs> well, I just think it's a it's a beautiful visual and it's it's a great way to really discuss all the options, right? Because like, yeah, we can say, oh, you can take this, you can um, go to trial. But if we really write it down and show them, okay, this is everything that we can think of that, you know, you might face. And we usually do that like because we, you know, before we go to trial, like when we either have like our typically like before a second setting because that's usually when we're like, okay, this really could go to trial. Um, We have them come in one more time to review everything with us. And now we're like looking at all the evidence in like super critical trial mindset. And as we go along, we're making notations on, you know, uh, you know, if we go to trial, this is a hurdle we have to overcome. If we plead, you know, this is this will be on your record forever or something like that, right? You know, and we're going along and we're discussing this and, you know, they're looking at this pro-con list of they're seeing everything that they need to consider. And I think that's helpful. It's also helpful for me because it makes mm-hmm. me feel like, okay, like I have covered everything. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I haven't gotten any complaints yet from clients. No, no. You, you <laughs> haven't gotten any complaints from me either. You know, I love yeah. your pro and con lists. But I will say sometimes I feel like the pro and con list maybe is – I mean, I don't really have to convince certain people to go to trial. Some people just want their day in court. And, like, yeah. that's my favorite train to ride as someone that just wants their day in court. I'm like, yes, let's do it. And you know what's interesting is we will do a lot to try and convince somebody to go to trial if we really believe in their case. 
But if, you know, if we're on the fence about a case and we're not sure if we can win the case and people are like, you know, wanting to go to trial, we won't do a lot to try and convince them not to go to trial. Like if somebody really wants to go to trial, we're there for that. And mm-hmm. we will we will fight like crazy for them, regardless of how we feel about the case. And I think, you know, I think we're very, very honest with how we feel the whole time. Like we're like, look, this is a, a hurdle that we're worried about having to overcome. I mean, we tell them we're like, this is 100% your decision because this is your life. You know, we, we tell them like, we want to make sure that whatever decision you make today, 10 years from now, we don't want you to resent us. We want you to feel like this is the right decision. And I think that all of our clients that we've gone to trial for will tell you that we fight really, really hard for them. (laughs) Um, And I I think that that's an important characteristic of a trial attorney is that, you know, you have to fight every inch. You can't give the state anything. You have to make them fight for everything that they do. And sometimes by doing so, you ruin the state's case. And that's, that's not a bad thing. Okay. So we've had a lot of fun here. Moving back to to the topic at hand, we try for a dismissal. We avoid pleas like the plague. Um, but if we if you guys decide that going to trial is your best bet for getting the best outcome for the client, like what happens next? Well, I do want to say sometimes it feels like we don't have a choice but to take it to trial if we don't get a dismissal because there are certain crimes that the consequences of pleading are worth fighting. Right. Sure. And of course, yeah. if the state ever gives us an offer, we're required by law to relay that offer to our client. And yeah. a lot of prosecutors will just give you offers without you asking for them. So, and then we have that conversation with our clients about what it all means, you know, and we, because we're required by law to do so. Mm-hmm. So it, that's to say that sometimes we don't necessarily think very hard about an offer or about a plea before making the jump to trial. Okay. Um, certain cases, you know, just warrant, okay, go, let's set up a trial. And obviously this is all done with our clients. We discuss all of this with our mm-hmm. clients. We're not, you know, we're not just making these decisions on our own, but a lot of times the conversations don't, they're not real long conversations with the clients because we're just like, Hey, we think that our best path here is to put it on the trial docket. Here's why we think that here's your other option. Let us know what you want to do, but it's a quick conversation. Yeah. Um. So when we are at the point where we're like, all right, this is more than likely going to either go to trial or we're going to push it to trial. I feel like there is a difference there. Then, you know, we relook at all the evidence from kind of a more critical viewpoint and we're thinking, okay, what evidence is the state going to be able to bring in in trial? What can we fight, you know, through a motion to suppress or something like that to keep certain evidence out? You know, what, what are the issues that you know, maybe the police officers did during the arrest. Who are the police officers? We look that up. Have we gotten a memorandum of disclosure on them? Have we dealt with them in the past? What do we know about that officer? You oh know? my God, this is we a look. Th- we look them up on Google and we find out if they've ever been arrested themselves, that kind of oh stuff. My God. Some real sleuthing over here. <laughs> and honestly, that's part of it. Once, once you've made the decision to go to trial, you have an obligation to do your own investigation. Actually, oh. earlier than that, you do. But like, at you know, when we're preparing for trial, we are definitely doing our own investigation because the evidence the state has may be damning to our client. 
Mm-hmm. But the state doesn't know everything. They never know everything. And a little investigation on our part might uncover something that the state doesn't know about. We don't have to tell them about. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't make a decision or it wouldn't make a difference into whether the state would dismiss it or not, but it will win us the case in a trial. And so those kinds yeah. of things, you, you know, we have we have to do our own investigations. We have to go out there and find the evidence that will help our client. And sometimes that evidence just comes from our client. Our client tells us something mm-hmm. we're able to verify. Yeah. So it's like during this whole process, we're doing like an investigation behind the scenes. We're looking into things that we find fishy the first time we look at the evidence, right? It's happening throughout the process. But when we really get in that, when we're like, all right, we're taking this all the way, like we're going to, we're hitting this home, you know, Um, then that's when we start kind of really looking at everything we have. What are we missing? What do we need? You know, so we're like I said, we're gathering the whole time. Like we're we're doing our pretrial investigation because we want to be able to find you know if there is um, exonerating evidence. You know we would love that from the beginning because you know we can give that to the state and be like, look, here's proof he's innocent or whatever. You know, so we're gathering that from the start before we even put it on the trial docket. We're gathering that evidence and stuff. But kind of like what I said about like the police officers and stuff. We might have done a little bit here and there as we are investigating in pretrial, but I think a lot of times we do our most like investigation on the police officers when we're like, all right, this is going to trial. How are we going to discredit him as a witness kind of thing? Because a lot of – if there is big problems with the officer, they're pretty apparent to us in the beginning. So if it's something major, we've already done a little bit of investigation on them. But as we get to um, the real sit down, we're taking this to trial phase – we're just digging deeper. Everything that we've been investigating, we're digging deeper. We're, we're asking some of the same questions that we've asked our client before, but, you know, are they saying something different now? Like, can they, did they re-remember something if we ask it again? You know, because it's kind of overwhelming at the beginning to kind of tell the whole story. And every now and then, if you just get them to kind of tell the story over and over again, new facts come out that lead you somewhere else. I mean, it, it's kind of like the mindset changes for us a little bit because when we're when we're evaluating the strengths and weaknesses of a case and the possible outcomes of a case, you've got one mindset where it's like, okay, what is this case saying to us, right? And then when we're actually preparing for trial, we're looking at what is the state going to try to prove? What do they have to prove? What are the pieces of evidence that proves what they're trying to prove? And how can we discredit that evidence or prove that that evidence is just wrong altogether? And sometimes that proof comes from another source that the state doesn't even know about, that that evidence is just Mm -hmm. wrong, even though it appears like real evidence. Now, obviously, if we find a piece of evidence throughout this investigation that is just a smoking gun, that if the state knew about it, they would dismiss the case. We're going to go to them right away with it. We're not holding on to that evidence. Where the evidence where we would hold on to it and not tell the state about it, and trial is the first time they hear about it, and that's a right that only the defendant has. The state has to give us everything. They cannot surprise us about anything at all that they're going to show in trial. But we can surprise the heck out of them. It's one of the great things about being a defense attorney is you don't have to give everything to the, the state. But if it's something that goes more to like somebody's credibility, where you can discredit a witness because they perjured themselves in the past, but the state for some reason doesn't know it, or something that just really shows that this piece of evidence is so severely flawed that the state is, would have introduced it anyway, but we're showing the jury why they shouldn't believe the evidence. That kind of stuff, we're not necessarily going to tell the state about ahead of time because it gives them a chance to try and fix it. And we don't want them to fix it. So I'm, I'm hearing a lot about like y'all's strategies for how to successfully win a case. Um, and it's, it's a lot of interesting stuff. 
what is occurring to me kind of right off the bat is it kind of sounds unfair. Like I'm, I'm hearing that this is stuff that y'all have a right to as, as defense attorneys, but like, why would there be different standards for you as defense attorneys than for the prosecutors? And that goes back to the burden, right? So constitutionally, the state has to prove that somebody committed a crime beyond a, re- beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's the state's burden to prove it. The state and the state is the investigative agency. They're the ones with all the power. We don't have much power at all as defense attorneys. Like Courtney mentioned it earlier, we don't, we don't have a lot of power. We can persuade. We can be willing to try a case and we can be, our power is in thorough investigation. And that's, that's pretty much it, right? Creative thinking. In persuasion and thorough investigation. Creative thinking. Right, Exactly. So, but the state has everything. They have all the resources. And so there has to be a check for those resources. There has to be balance. If we had to give the state everything we have, and remember, our resources are severely limited. We don't have those resources. The state has the same ability that we do to go out and try and find that evidence, right? And if they don't do it, bad on them. So that's kind of how it, it works. And the state's going to know that our client, if they decide to testify, which they have a right not to, is going to say things on the stand. They should be able to anticipate all of that because the state has all the power and the state has the burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that our client committed a crime. So because the state has the burden of everything and the defense has no burden, we don't have to put on a single piece of evidence if we don't want to. And if the state doesn't meet their burden, then you can't convict them. A lot of times what a trial is, is the defense attorney trying to show the jury why you shouldn't trust the state's evidence, because the only evidence that is required to be brought is by the state. The defendant doesn't have to do a single thing. And so if you think about it in that direction, it's unfairly balanced towards the state because they've got all the money, they've got all the resources, they've got all the power. And here we are, these little defense attorneys with with a poor client who's being accused of a crime. And we, we don't have all of that. And we have to do our best to try and protect this person. And so I understand, like, it sounds like the state has a lot of disadvantages, but they have all the advantages. So the couple of disadvantages they have is just to even the playing field. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, the potential for surprise is kind of like the only upper hand we have. <laughs> but the state has the resources to go out there and find everything. Yeah, that's the other thing is nothing that we can find, they can't find. Does that make oh, sense? Okay. So like, but the other the other way is not true. They could find stuff that we can't find. Right. Because they have, like she said, more resources. We, I mean, some things come from our client and, you know, we follow up and they wouldn't have known unless they asked our client, which they can't do. I mean. Right, to remain silent. Even then though, like whatever we find from what they tell us is still available to them just maybe through a different person or different means. And the reality is, is that we as defense attorneys just have to be more prepared than the prosecutors are. We have mm-hmm. to be, or we don't win. So, you know, there, there's kind of a burden on us to do that thorough investigation. I mean, there's a requirement that we do it, but it's also a burden so that we are more prepared than the state. We know everything the state's going to introduce usually. I mean, sometimes they try tricks, but usually we know everything the state's going to introduce and we you know, we have that evidence. And so we get to thoroughly investigate that evidence and vet it. Well, the state should be thoroughly investigating and vetting their own evidence too. But a lot of times they don't do it as well as we do. And, you know, that's preparedness is uh, is why we win. I mean, in 
I mean, a lot of times prosecutors do have like more cases set for trial that day than we do. So they do have to be prepared on more. But I mean, they've had the case generally as long as we have. And they have more resources. They have interns, they have investigators, they have, you know, file clerks, and they have paralegals, and they have, they have so many people that they can call upon to help them as easily accessible. We can call upon our colleagues. Right. Yeah, we don't have like, an we don't have an investigator. We have to ask the court for one, <laughs> typically. And the, and even then, the court severely limits the amount of money that they're willing to give us for investigators. And we have to come up, come to them with a really good reason. And even for experts, we have to come with, to them with a good reason why we need this person. And if the court doesn't think it's a good reason, we don't get it. Or in a case of a hired client, our client has to be able to afford those people. So basically, we're outmanned and we're outgunned. And so the only and upper out, hand outfunded <laughs> and outfunded. So the only upper hand yeah. we have is we get to be on top of the hill. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. We get to shoot down and they have to shoot up. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Uh, so that's the only advantage uh, we have <laughs> is the element of surprise. If we even have it. So you're cling to it. <laughs> Sometimes we have no elements of surprise. <laughs> and, and if a prosecutor, and there's a lot of really good ones in Bear County, is doing their job well, Nothing we find is going to be a surprise to them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So I, I, I kind of want to return to the process of like getting to trial real quick. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to wonder a little bit longer because we are out of time for today. But join us next time on Plead the Sixth when I might actually get a straight answer out of these two about what exactly happens at a trial and how to get there. Until then, please check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Krauss Daily Law, where we are always happy to answer questions and talk to you about episodes, um, as well as our website, KraussDailyLaw.com, where we will be posting episodes and you can comment and speak to one another to your heart's content. Um, and we're always happy to answer questions and get into fights there as well. And join us next time as we are going to be continuing our discussion of the road to trial. Until then, keep pleading the substance.